Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Co-op Couch, the Arnie's gaming series. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined by my player two, Matt Johnson. Matt, how are you, and what games have you been playing lately? I'm doing really well. It's been a crazy week, so I always love these Friday shows, or I guess Friday recordings that we do. Obviously, it'll come out later, but for us, maybe you out there listening to this in the middle of a week, but just know that Austin and I are very ready for a weekend. Um... I'm ready to talk games. I love this show. I love this little co-op couch series we do. It's our go-to place to talk about gaming. And you and I had kind of an interesting month for gaming. We jumped into some demos. We caught up on some news. I mean, as for what I've been playing besides that, nothing really super new, I guess. It is a dry spell for new releases, for sure. I guess that's kind of just this time of year for the most part. But once summer rolls around, I think it'll be more exciting. But yeah, nothing too crazy. You and I and Keith still jump into Modern Warfare and play Warzone a lot. You and I just kind of randomly saw that Rainbow Six Siege was on Game Pass, so we tried that out this month. We've been playing that semi-regularly, been having fun with that. Um, That's kind of the main stuff, to be honest, besides one of the demos that we're going to be talking about in a little bit. But uh, yeah, what about you? Yeah, you know, it's, it's good to be here. I love this gaming series, too. As for me, I uh, actually just wrapped up Horizon Zero Dawn. I missed that one on its original release, so it was good to kind of get back into my backlog and, and finish up that one. And then uh, I've kind of just fallen back on my, my like, go-tos that I play throughout the year, so I've been building my team in Madden and playing through that a little bit, and then also working through a team in FIFA as well and kind of doing the franchise manager mode in both of those games. Nice. Very cool. All right, well, as we kind of touched on, we are still in a dry spell of sorts when it comes to new game releases, so on today's show, we are going to be breaking down a few of our favorite characters in gaming. But first, Matt, should we do some news for the month of March 2021? Yeah, I'm really glad we started doing this little news segment, um, just to kind of keep things current and fun. And even though this is only our second time doing the news segment on this show, we I guess we kind of said, we'll just keep it to three, three big topics, but... This was a pretty huge month, weirdly, not for releases, but for news. So we have four things on here for you. One that just came out yesterday. So it's going to be interesting. So let's get right into that first one. Austin and I have already mentioned a demo that we played this month, and that kind of ties into the first point here. So Austin, take it away. Yeah. So the Outriders demo released um, right at the start of March this month. And the first kind of opening segment of the game was playable um, in its entirety for for all players. I think something like over 2 million players jumped into it. Oh, uh, so you and I have both played it, and I figured this would be a good spot for us to just kind of talk about our impressions of, of the demo and, and the couple hours that we got to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was a longer demo than I was expecting, and definitely not in a bad way, but for kind of a big, weird, open-world, crazy RPG like this, I feel like they kind of gave us just enough to really sink into, including side quests. I think they gave us four side quests to do on top of the main storyline, if you want to call it that. So it felt like we really got to experience the gameplay enough, and I really enjoyed it. I had a good time playing it with you, and I know we've talked about when the actual game releases, we'll, have, we'll add Keith into the mix there, so that'll be fun. But yeah, it's just this crazy game with a story that I still don't I couldn't fully grasp and terrible voice acting but I mean once you get past that the gameplay is just so fun I mean you have really fun combat and gunplay on top of these crazy powers so Austin you want to talk a little bit about the powers since that kind of seems to be one of the driving forces behind this game yeah like you said the story is a bit nonsensical and and the voice acting is pretty brutal but the gameplay is truly a blast. Um, as for the powers, you and I each played as a, as a different class. So I played as a Technomancer, which is kind of the, the class that can use some tech powers and uh, set up turrets and has some like uh, specialized guns that you can bring out for a certain amount of time. And then you, of course, played as the Trickster, which kind of has the warp around the battlefield ability. And you have like a slow motion time bubble that you can set up as well. Yeah, just so cool. I mean, again... The gunplay isn't revolutionary, but they did make it feel really fun and satisfying, which is certainly appreciated since I feel like every third person game is just you shooting a gun. So this actually felt really fun. But yeah, the powers is where things got really interesting. Yeah, he said I was the trickster so I can warp around the battlefield, but I can also get up close and personal and do this little slash that basically anybody I hit puts them inside this huge bubble Um, And you and I had some really fun moments where you would like drop a turret down and then I would create a bubble around that. And then we would just watch your turret go crazy and kill everybody and watch them explode in slow motion inside the bubble. Just so fun. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, too, because I I had two types of turrets. I had one that shoots missiles and I had another one that 
those freeze bullets and will slow people down in place. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of fun like timing your slow motion bubble with the missile launcher and then watching all these enemies get hit in slow motion too. So so pairing the powers together was a huge highlight too. I also really enjoyed the kill to heal aspect of the game because it is a cover based shooter, but because you have to kill to heal, you're not just staying in place for the whole battle. So you're constantly moving and constantly uh, trying to get like tactical advantage on the enemies that you're facing. Yeah, yeah, very true. And it definitely, at least for me, forces me to play a game a bit differently, which is staying in cover a bit less and, like you said, a bit more aggressive gameplay, which was really different but really fun and rewarding since you can watch the health build back up. And also a big compliment I'd give is that even though it's not super long of a demo, I still was kind of already getting into the whole customization aspect of my character, like picking up loot, outfits, different guns. Like I was getting... Again, it's probably like maybe two hours we played, but I was still really excited to see where I started versus what guns and like how my character looked outfit wise by the end. So I'm really excited to see how many crazy amounts more options we'll have in the full game. There was somebody that they said already put 254 hours just into the demo. Like some guys been playing it for like 15 hours a day. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, just with how little of an area they gave us, I don't know what they're doing, but I guess yeah. good for you. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah. So yeah, I mean, we're just talking about this when it comes to the news. So I mean, just to kind of end it here, I can definitely say that I will be playing the full version because I really enjoyed the demo. It kind of sounds like you're on board with that too. Yeah. And I think uh, on our little episode schedule here, we have Outriders to kind of be the main topic of conversation for next month. So uh, be sure to tune back in people to hear us give our thoughts on the full game. For sure, for sure. All right. So this one is interesting. This one kind of feels like the culmination of a lot of questions that people have had. So for those that don't remember, Bethesda, known for Elder Scrolls, Fallout, and everything in between, they were purchased by Microsoft, right? So the big question was Xbox exclusivity. You know, people kind of make fun of Xbox when it comes to exclusives. Like, you got Halo. Look at PlayStation. We have Uncharted. God of War, I named two of them. Last of Us, I named three of them. There's Horizon. a million more. Horizon, Spider-Man. There's so many. That's almost It's like a joke that Xbox doesn't really have exclusives anymore. Also, the reason that you and I opted to get a PS5 for the new generation first before we got Xbox consoles, just because they have so many exclusives. Exactly. So true. But this is a big one. So, right? So, Microsoft buys Bethesda, and the question was for the last few months... Well, what does that actually mean? Like Deathloop, that's coming out this year. That won't be exclusive, right? Because it was already coming out. And Microsoft was like, well, yeah, we're not going to change that. And then it kind of led to the question, well, what about the future? And they were like, well, we'll see. It'll be a case-by-case basis. And I guess we still don't fully know, but I think for right now, for the purposes of this show and this news, we can say that they confirmed that outside of projects like Deathloop that have been announced for this year, future projects, including Starfield, Elder Scrolls Six. Future Fallout games will be exclusive to Xbox consoles, and that's huge for Xbox. Yeah, that's crazy, especially for me. I mean, I'm not, I guess I don't play a ton of the Bethesda games. I think the one I've spent the most time in for sure is the Skyrim Elder Scrolls Mm -hmm. franchise. So I think this might actually impact you a little bit more than it will me. But I did see too on the note about Deathloop, Xbox is now in the weird position where they're like, basically piloting the launch of an exclusive game on PlayStation (laughs) just because of the timing of this acquisition. So that was kind of interesting. But I got to know, I mean, when when Elder Scrolls 6 comes around, I'm definitely going to be playing that. So it sounds like that might be the time that uh, you and I are are looking to get a new uh, next generation Xbox. For sure. But I mean, also, like you said, I think the reason Microsoft would actually like what you just said there is because you're like, yeah, I like Skyrim, but I haven't really, you know, dived into too many others but they also i believe the deal is they go to game pass day one so for you somebody that has game pass like me you can play these games you know for no additional cost you could go in right now and play doom doom eternal games that we never played that that got great reviews but it's kind of that's kind of the bethesda thing now is like not only the exclusive but people that have game pass it's no additional cost so we're going to see a lot of people trying these games out for the first time well, and, and you saw the impacts of that immediately, because the day this acquisition was finalized, all those old Bethesda games yep. immediately appeared on Game Pass, which is pretty crazy to see. And and Game Pass for me has always kind of seemed like one of the better de- one of the better like subscription deals in gaming. I know you know Sony has their PlayStation now, but that's new. Yeah, it's new, and but Game Pass has been around longer, and they really have built up quite the assortment of games too. Like on my Xbox One, I've played so many games I would have never checked out if I didn't have Game Pass already. Yeah, Rainbow Six, like we talked about at the top, just another example. So this is really exciting. The Metro for, series, yeah. Yeah, 
for Xbox owners. Wolfenstein cool series. Thing. Which I believe that's Bethesda, right? So there you go. It's another one. So you have played yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it is. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm curious to see if people might feel similarly whenever like Starfield, Elder Scrolls 6, Fallout 5, whatever you want to call it, comes out. Are people going to buy Xbox consoles just for those? Like, I guess we'll see. I will definitely for the next um, Elder Scrolls for sure. Well, let's talk about Austin as well. What is currently going on? I know this one might not impact you too much, so we're just going to go through it real quick. But Square Enix just had their big conference the other week. They had some fun announcements in there. So yeah, just the quick hits. We have Black Panther announced to be in Marvel's Avengers, a game that just simply won't die, even though it seems like it should. They're trying to. And everybody wants it to as well. (laughs) I will say, though, I will say, I did see that Black Panther trailer. I was like, he looks pretty cool. That's pretty cool. We'll see what happens there. Yeah, too bad you'll have to buy the game and then also pay to add on all the fun stuff, though. It's (sighs) so microtransaction-y. No thanks. I'll skip that one. Uh, The big one for me, Austin, I know you know this. I think we've even talked about it on the podcast before, but Life is Strange is one of my favorite games of all time. It's for those that don't know or have heard of it, but don't know what the gameplay is like. I, I just always call it. It's the best of the Telltale games. It's not made by Telltale, obviously. It's Square Enix, but it um is that choice based game that incorporates really weird gameplay and story elements and great characters that I love. The prequel before the storm I love. Life is Strange 2 I loved, even though it's a bit different, still great. And so they announced the new one. It's not called Life is Strange 3. It's called Life is Strange True Colors. So I was I was confused, though. Is this a sequel or a DLC for the existing This is one? a separate game. So for okay. all intents and purposes, it's Life is Strange 3. Um, yeah. So they just opted to go with a different title. And the power this time around, we've had time-based powers, fire-based powers, other crazy shit in this world. And this time, it's the power of emotion. You are a mind reader. You can absorb people's thoughts and it changes you so obviously this is going to be a day one for me i love this series i cannot wait to play it so i guess more of my question was austin as somebody that hasn't jumped into this series yet any interest not even with this one necessarily just with the series as a whole just from everything you have told me i do need to i definitely do need to give this series a chance every like piece of content i've seen for this franchise i've just never had any clue what's going on like in the trailers or anything and same same with this trailer i watched it and i was like whoa that looks cool. And I was like, <laughs> don't know how that works or fits into the game, but it sure does look cool. I need to give it a give it a try. Yeah, and you actually, I didn't even think to bring this up, but technically you could wait to when Life is Strange True Colors comes out because they did announce they're doing a cheap remastered version of Life is Strange 1 and the prequel for one package that will come out, I think like right before this new one. So maybe that's the time to jump in. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think when that does come out, I'll have to give it a go. Maybe we'll do an episode on it. That'd be a great one for you and your wife to play. I think you guys would really like have a really fun kind of emotional but satisfying experience. So definitely want to play with someone else. But Austin, before we jump into the main topic, how about you run through our final point? Yeah, so they um, they also did reveal there's been this new game going around. For a while, it was just called uh, Project Athea, but they did finally uh, release the official trailer and title for the game. And uh, there's still we still don't really know what's going on. It kind of takes place in... Um, like a futuristic, it looks like the world's kind of ended. Uh, the main character has some magical abilities, but they did announce that the new official title for Project Athea is Forspoken. Yeah. I mean, the big thing here, I mean, let's just get right to it, is the graphics here. I mean, this is just, this seems to be... And they look like shit. Oh, you think so? I don't know. I, mean, I guess I am in the minority in this camp, but I think the scenery looks pretty incre- pretty impressive, but the way the character was like moving throughout the trailer looked kind of really clunky for me so I don't, I don't know like something about all the media they released to this game people seem to be like losing their mind over it and for me i don't think it looks very good i have a feeling this is going to be you remember when the ps4 and the xbox one came out and xbox had that like rise son of rome game and all the trailers looked insane and then when it came out people were like oh this kind of sucks i have a feeling that this is going to be this generation of consoles kind of games where they're they're teeing it up to show off all the capabilities of the brand new console and then it's really not going to be that great of a game. That could happen. I mean, from the gameplay that we have seen, it's been more about the graphical fidelity as opposed to the actual gameplay content. Even in this recent trailer, it's like we saw maybe seven seconds total of like using speed powers and all this crazy stuff. So it's very hard to tell what we'll actually be doing. And then the rest is just like panning shots. Yeah, And like, I think the scenery, the scenery looks pretty great, but the actual character movement to me looks really wonky. And maybe, maybe it's just a frame rate thing. Maybe I'm just not used to like the new, 
like speed that the that the games can run at but to me it just kind of really taking me out of it yeah that took me a long time to kind of have my eye adjust to so maybe we'll see but i do want to hear your thoughts on it though too because that's kind of what i thought of the trailer but it sounds like you're kind of on a different level than i am i don't really have any additional thoughts i just think it looks really good um i'm not talking about gameplay just i was kind of just so blown away by the graphics like wow um, because they showed in the trailer, they showed the actress that's playing the main character, and obviously they used their likeness, and seeing how similar it was in live action versus in the trailer, I was like, wow, that's crazy. So, this is one of those games, I think you could be right, it could be one of these weird, semi-close-to-launch titles that, what's it really for, just to show off the graphics, but I'm hopeful it's something else, it's hard to say since we don't know much about the story, and the gameplay we have seen looks cool to me, I like the traversal looks really interesting. The crazy scale of the powers looks really cool. But again, we've seen so little over a couple trailers now. It's, it is hard to say. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. With my luck, it'll probably be that thing where it comes out and it's like the best game ever made. And then I'm on a recording somewhere saying it looks like shit and it's going to be bad. So That's what we want. That's what we want. We want controversy. Okay, Matt. So we did get a big piece of news that dropped yesterday. And it revolves around a franchise that you and I both love, Looks like Sony has some Ghost of Tsushima news. You want to tell me what that is? Yeah, that's kind of almost all we know. We have a little bit of an extra piece. But yeah, so Sony is developing Ghost of Tsushima as a movie. The extra exciting bit of news there, though, is that John Wick director Chad Stahelski will be their director for now. So it sounds like who knows when this movie is going to be scheduled to come out. But for right now, he's attached to direct. So if you're a fan of John Wick, how characters move in that, same with Atomic Blonde, I guess he did Deadpool too, you can kind of see some elements of the samurai fighting. So I'm curious how that will go. Austin, I know you didn't finish Ghost, right? Or am I forgetting that? Is that wrong? I'm still working my way through it. It's taken me a lot. I've loved everything I've played. I just, I'm kind of burnt out on open world games. So it's taken me a while to to really finish it up. Yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. I'm kind of having that burnout too. But the thing that's most exciting about this, I think you would agree, is thinking about John Wick, how characters move, and then thinking about that same director, like doing the choreography here for the gameplay in Ghost that we love so much. That sounds pretty exciting to me. Oh, yeah. I, I think this is a perfect choice to direct this movie. I can't wait to see what he comes up with for the sweet, like slow samurai fighting. I think mm-hmm. we're going to get some really cool action scenes. Oh, I can't wait. I love and it. I, I gotta know, Matt. Do you have do you have a dream casting for Jin Sakai? Because I, I have one in my mind that I kind of want to run by you. How about you hit me first? I haven't thought about it. I, I guess I kind of have two. So if you don't like this first one, then I'll run the second one by you too. Okay. What would you think? It would be it would be a, kind of a departure for this actor, but I know you and I both love Henry Golding. He's he's charming and crazy rich Asians. He's got that dark villain character in The Gentleman. Could you see him as Jin Sakai? I think so. Ooh. Yeah, I can. I can see it. Whew. I don't know, man. I'm getting like all these thoughts coming into my head. I, but I can only think of, <laughs> I can only think of Korean actors. <laughs> I guess I know a lot of Korean actors. I guess that might be weird for uh, uh this type of story. But my I don't second know. choice was gonna be Steven Yen, who have Walking Dead fame. Um, I mean, I could see that all. I, I feel like they'd probably want to go Japanese just for the story. But again, I don't know. I have no idea what they'll do. One thing I will say, I believe I believe this actor is Japanese and he kind of almost looks the part. But you got to get Ken Watanabe to play the uncle, right? Yeah, Sato in Inception. I could go for that. He I, He's kind of old, though, for Jin Sakai, don't you think? No, no, for the uncle. Oh, for the uncle. OK, yeah, that'd be that'd be a perfect casting for the uncle. That'd be sweet. That'd be really cool. I love it. I feel like we're going to hear about casting soon. I feel something tells me they're going to try and fast track this project, which I'm all for. So we might actually see this within like a year and a half, two years, maybe. So I feel like casting is going to come out pretty soon, which excites me. Sony is like really hardcore focused on the box office. It seems like like they're just greenlighting all of their projects to go Last of us straight as well. to theaters. But that's obviously TV, but crazy. I, w- I wonder what I wonder what it is about like they clearly had a had like a, a meeting and we're like one of our business strategies for this coming year needs to be film. So I, I wonder what it is because we've had so many failed adaptations when it comes to video games. I wonder why Sony is kind of going all in now on trying to make a good video game uh, content for the mainstream. I don't know. It's also for whatever reason you asking that question sparked it in my mind. I won't 
spoil it for you, Austin, but I, all I will say is the ending of Ghost of Tsushima, they could do a sequel, but if they didn't, I'd be like, okay, it was left open enough at the end that I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. So now it's like they're fast-tracking the movie, so do you think this is in a weird way a better or less of a chance that we would get a sequel in the form of a game? I guess it depends what they're if they're just doing the game for the movie, then I think it's still a pretty good chance to get a sequel. But if they're telling a new story, then maybe they're going to be like, well, we're going to end Jin Sakai's story in the movie. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to play another game. Obviously, I kind of have the open world fatigue as well, but I'd be curious what a sequel could be. And regardless of if we don't get one or not, I really enjoyed the game enough that I would like to see a live action interpretation and maybe some different story elements. So I think it could be cool to see that story condensed down to a couple of hours. I think they could really nail it. Well, I think at the very least, uh, Chad Stahelski will give us some pretty sweet samurai fighting. Oh, so sure. I am excited for that element of this project. Me too. All right, everybody. Well, those are kind of the four kind of big news stories that jumped out at us for the month of March. Uh, let us know on Instagram at the Arnie's what news stories were some of your favorites this month. And if there was anything you wish we had included. And my friend, we're going to go ahead and roll some segue music. But when we come on back, it'll be time to talk about some of our favorite characters in video games. Okay, Matt, let's get into the bulk of today's episode. Please give me your first favorite character in gaming. So my first one might be a bit of an oddball choice. It's from a series that people undeniably love, but do they love the character? Because there is a bit of a personality vacuum, if you will. I said yes. I love this character, and it is Link from the Legend of Zelda series. Notably... Not much of a talker, and by that I mean not at all. But the reason I chose this character is because A, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time was, I think, the second video game I ever played. The first one I ever beat. So there is nostalgia wrapped up. I love this series as a whole, so I kind of aged the right time with it. I was six, I think, when I first played Ocarina of Time. Maybe like four or five, I can't remember. But um, so as I got older, I started to appreciate the games more and more. I love the design. I love how this character is included in all of his stories, almost like this weird reveal that he was destined to be a part of it. But he was he came from such humble beginnings and sometimes just came from a completely different almost land altogether. It seems like a village. And it's like, oh, actually, you're the savior of this world. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool. And seeing how they rise to that occasion. Um but the re actually, the main reason I included Link on here is because I feel like we see more of it now, especially with first-person shooters and definitely with RPGs. Austin, you talked about Skyrim earlier. And those characters are all kind of a blank slate, and they're supposed to be that way so that you, the audience, and the player can kind of inject your own feelings and, I guess, experiences or what have you. You can tweak them to kind of fit your experience that you want to have with whatever game you're playing. Exactly. And I don't know how Nintendo did it, but I just feel like Link is such an amazing blank slate in the sense that they don't talk, they're a badass, they're innocent, they're kind of aloof to what's going on, because you have characters like Zelda and Ganon and the Kings and Queens of Hyrule and all that stuff, all these side characters that know way more of what's going on than you. But at the same time, there's just such an innocence to this character that I wanted to include on this list because it's maintained from first playing Ocarina of Time all the way up to playing Breath of the Wild a couple of years ago. And that character still means the same thing to me, even though it's not the same version of Link. It's always like a slightly different version with like in a different timeline or like a different period in time, I guess I would say. So I guess I, I was kind of surprised when I saw you put Link on here because I think most people would consider him like a memorable character in gaming, but I'm not sure if a lot of people would say that they're like that he's their favorite. Because like mm. you said at the beginning... He doesn't talk, and uh, I guess full disclosure, the only Zelda games that I've finished is uh, Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, and he doesn't talk a whole lot in either one of those, yeah. and uh, it's a lot of like text-to-screen type of stuff and him just kind of like blinking at the screen. So yeah. what is it about Link that puts him over the top to become one of your favorite characters in games? It's a great question, and here's what it is. Um, Ocarina of Time. 
You start out as this kid, an orphan that lives in a village that he doesn't fit in. This is going to be a weird a weird example. It's kind of like Buddy the Elf and Elf. He's he's a human, <laughs> but he's an elf. And nobody kind of treats him with respect as he gets older because he isn't one of them. Same thing with Link in that game. And looking at him in the beginning of that, then being given his mission slightly later, being like, what? I didn't realize I was anybody. And then by the end of the game, he's now an adult watching Zelda behind this ring of fire, and he's charged with taking down this huge pig humanoid figure that's trying to destroy the world, and the, the slow motion sequence of him picking up the Master Sword, slashing him twice, and then stabbing him through the, like, the brain. I was like six at the time, and I guess I wasn't scarred from this. And then... It's just so, the arc is so badass. And like you said, how they were able to make that believable, that transition, and him willing to take up that call without him saying a word is pretty cool. And you get very similar arcs in Wind Waker, Twilight Princess. He comes from way outside of Hyrule, and by the end, he's tasked with taking down Ganondorf or Ganon, these incredible villains, and he just vanquishes evil. And he just accepts his tasks with like, I guess I'll try. And then he kind of comes to the challenge. And you as the player feel such satisfaction with that too, because you're the one actually controlling it. And it feels like such an incredible character arc, but also an arc for you as the player, because you're having to do such crazier things as compared to the beginning of the game. So I think that's why the character always works for me in any iteration of the series. Yeah, I, I guess now that I think about it, in, in the limited games I play with him, he is he is pretty fearless. He He comes across a lot of challenges that maybe like, you're not fully equipped for whenever you come upon them. But he as a character really is never daunted. And he's always like, he'll always try anything that gets put before him. So I think that does actually make him a, a pretty great character because he's he's so willing to help people. He's so willing to take on new tasks, to problem solve, all those great things that come with being a hero. And it's another kind of connection to you, the player too, because Link typically is portrayed in the beginning of the games as being afraid. Like, I don't want to do that. But then you as the player, obviously, you're the one with agency, so you're the one actually giving him reason to move, like the movement of control stick or what have you. Um, but then by the end of the game, that fear is gone from the character, and it's also kind of gone from you. It's like, oh, this is business as normal. This is what I do. So it's kind of this weird thing where you and Link, since he's the blank slate and you're the player, are kind of going through this journey together in a weird way. Well, and he uh, he is my go-to in Super Smash Bros. as well. So Me too. that's got to earn you some points right there. Me too. Love it. All right, Austin, what about you? Did you go with a blank slate? Did you go with someone that doesn't talk for yours? I went with a character that you actually do hear the voice of, and uh, it is it is some pretty incredible voice acting at that. Okay. Um, I went with Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn. She is the playable protagonist, and she is voiced by Ashley Birch. Uh, you may know her from the Borderlands series and the Outer Worlds, uh, where she voices Tiny Tina and uh, Pravardi, respectively. I think she's also in The Last of Us 2, if I recall. She plays the pregnant lady that, spoilers, maybe lives or dies. <laughs> oh, does she really? Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess I guess so, now that I'm thinking about her voice. It did sound really familiar. I, I heavily remembered her from Tiny Tina, for yeah, sure, me too. and Rivardi, because yeah. I, I do love the Outer Worlds. Mm -hmm. So, Matt, I know you haven't played this one, so let me give you just a little bit of background. Yes. Um, Zero Dawn takes place in a future overrun by machines. Humanity has resorted back to their tribalistic ways, and they view the machines as, quote, metal devils. So Aloy is, is born an outcast in the world of Horizon. Uh, she grows up an outlander to one of the tribes, uh, the Nora tribes, and she is raised by another outcast named Roast. And so because she is not raised within the safety of the tribe, she's kind of way better suited to survive in the world of Horizon because she's taught how to fend for herself. And she essentially views the machines as prey where she can harvest resources from to like better equip her gear. So she's way more suited for this world than like any of the actual like quote unquote normal inhabitants of it are. Hmm. And, uh, and, and because of her being an outcast as well, uh, she also doesn't inherit like any of the superstitions from her tribe. And instead of fearing the machines, she has this like really uh, innate curiosity about them and like how they came to be. And that kind of leads to one of my favorite dynamics about her character. And it's just her fascination with the world. Uh, Horizon itself has this great sense of exploration and kind of wonder about it. Um, like while playing, you're always curious about like, wow, what's the next crazy machine I'm going to run into? Or, or, or what's that like structure up on a hill? I, I really want to check that out. And so, and so like anytime I would have this experience in my head, I would be like so curious and like thinking to myself like, wow, this is crazy. And then Aloy, the character herself too, would be so fascinated by the world that she's exploring that she would like kind of be commenting on it like at the same time I was thinking about it. 
Um, so it, it was it was pretty cool, and it was it was kind of cool for like myself and the character to be having these like holy shit moments at the same time, essentially. That's really cool. No, I like that a lot. That's the type of characters I feel like I gravitate towards. So obviously, I haven't played it. Like you said, it's been one of those games. I'm sure you can relate that you just you have downloaded, like you own it. You just have to actually start it. I just haven't done that yet with yeah. this one, but. What about the story arc itself? Like whenever you kind of like I just talked about with mine, um, by the end, did you feel like a lot of satisfaction with how that journey was as a whole? I, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but Aloy kind of does end up becoming, um, I don't want to say reluctant because she was born an outcast. So she does have this like really strong desire to prove herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does end up like kind of becoming the hero of these lands. And it, it is a pretty interesting dynamic because her tribe itself kind of rejected her from the time she was a baby due to the, due to the circumstances of her birth. And yeah. so she's kind of been, always been rejected by them. She seeks to prove herself to the Nora tribe and then also just kind of like prove them wrong too. So she gets kind of sent out. Um, there's this thing going around called the cor- corruption and it's causing the machines to become corrupted and be more violent than they would normally be. And this kind of in the opening of the game leads to a direct attack on the Nora community. And uh, and, and the Noras decide to send her out because she's a good fighter. And, and there's other reasons as well. She's essentially made what's called a seeker. And so she's sent hmm. out to seek the answers for why this corruption is happening. She's not really like a reluctant hero, but she's more of like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove to you that I'm not an outcast, that like I have all these skills and I'm going to accomplish this mission. Yeah, I feel like I'm looking at the list we have in front of us. And even with Link, we already talked about, there is something really special, I think, with characters. That, like you said, they're not necessarily reluctant, but they're just kind of, they seem like just one of the pack, right? But then they're kind of almost like plucked out of obscurity for this insane mission. And then watching them kind of go on that mission and change and develop and become more accustomed to it. I think there's something really special about those characters. I think there's a reason why so many characters in video games and media in general share that kind of journey because it is so satisfying for you, the audience and the player to watch that unfold. It's also really cool too, because she's she's really cocky and headstrong and she's also so sure of her abilities because of the environment she was raised in. Okay. She's one of the best hunters in her lands and she knows it too. So she's like so confident, so sure of herself. But then at the same time, she also has this like kind of heavy awkwardness and and like almost social anxiety about her that I like Hmm. hardcore related to. Like she hates being in crowds. Uh, She's way more comfortable just kind of out in the wilds on her own. There's a sequence of the game that kind of takes you to this huge city that exists within Horizon. And she's like not comfortable at all within this city. Again, because of her being an outcast, she really has like, she has no sense for authority either and, and treats everyone the same, whether they are like a noble or a king or just somebody that you meet along the way. So I just found like just all these dynamics about her character really relatable and kind of latched onto her pretty easily. Well, yeah, like I said, this is one that I own, just haven't played yet, but that definitely sold me a bit more. I've heard good things about this character, but I, yeah, I feel really sold. So this is one that I'm going to have to play really soon, I think. For today's generation of consoles, like, I think she's considered one of the best, uh, like new additions to the to the last to the latest generation of consoles too. It definitely seems like it, yeah. And I'm sure for you, that's even more exciting, just as somebody that's a fan of the character, because you know it's end of March right now. I would think within the year, not necessarily by the end of this year, but maybe by March next year, you'll be playing the sequel, so you can kind of see the continued adventures and the arc of this character. So that must be something you're looking forward to. Uh, yeah, Forbidden West drops pretty soon, and I can't wait to check that one out. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. Okay, Matt, so let's go ahead and move on now. Tell me what your next favorite character is. Yeah, I think this character is pretty high up there. Not even just in this series, when you think about protagonists, but I think if you look on lists, even by today's standards, this one is pretty high up there when it comes to best video game characters of all time. This is also the first one on the list that if I hadn't put it on, I know Austin would have too. So this will be a good conversation because we both have a lot of history with this character. And it is, of course... Ezio Auditore from Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood, and Revelations. Is it even possible to do a, a favorite characters list without including at least one assassin on there? I don't think so. I, I honestly don't. And I think <laughs> a lot of it is because you get games even way before this, of course. I mean, going back decades, you get like you get series of games where you see the same protagonist come back and you see their continued adventures. But there is something different about Ezio, I feel like, even at the time. I mean, in relative terms, I mean, he's not like, I guess you would still consider him a modern character, not like anything old school. 
but it's just Assassin's Creed. He was the lead character of the second game. The first one wasn't received super well. He was kind of a huge standout in the sequel that people loved. And they were like, well, let's give him a trilogy. So within the series, he has his own trilogy. And we really do get to see his entire arc from birth to death. He's really fun. He's witty. And you watch him over time mature into this role. He goes from just an assassin to basically the assassin in Italy. And kind of he becomes the mentor to the younger crowd. He's always badass, regardless of what age. And there's just a cool factor to him when it comes to design, the way the arsenal he has, the side characters surrounding him. And really, like I already kind of said, it's really just the arc of this character when he's like a young man in Assassin's Creed 2 trying to take revenge for those that killed his father and brothers. And then by the end, he kind of comes to some sort of peace but not really. And then in Brotherhood, he's moved on. He's watched more family members and friends die. And now he's like, I can't worry about personal revenge. That's part of it. But more of it is about setting up the Brotherhood here in Rome. And then when Revelations comes around, it's more of a personal journey as he ages into an older man trying to understand more of what the Assassin's Creed, I guess, if you want to say that, like what that means and what the past, how it informs him as a person and how he can become somebody that can inform the future generations of assassins. So the arc of this character from a young man to an older man is really something super exciting to watch. And on recent playthroughs, recent in the grand scheme of things, it's something I appreciate way more as I've gotten older. The arc that this character takes is really something special. So, Asa, i got to bring you in because this is this character is just as much yours as it is mine because I mean, we both love this character. So what about you? What do you think about this character? I think I think the biggest thing with Ezio is, is just time. I mean, you get so much time with this character. You literally see his birth and then you see his death as well. Like, you see his entire life. And that's, that is kind of rare for a video game character. And not only that, but you, you spend time with him for three 40 hour plus games so it, it's it's it literally is this character's entire life um you get to see him like you mentioned as this kind of adolescence headstrong teenager um who has to kind of grow and, and mature and, and take responsibility for his very actions quickly too yeah very quickly especially just in the circumstance of the way his life plays out mm -hmm. and then i think i think my favorite thing about Ezio is the fact that in brotherhood and revelations he realizes that the assassins are going to have to change yep. in order to kind of like evolve for this war that they're fighting. So he takes it upon himself to change the, to change the assassins and uh, I guess bring them into the quote unquote modern day, if you will. I think that's what I kind of gravitated to the most about Ezio is just working to change this this age old regime to fit the current times. Yeah, such a great point because Assassin's Creed Two really is just kind of a personal journey for him. Nothing wrong with that. But by Brotherhood, there still is that element with Cesare, who killed his uncle. But at the same time, he's an, a bit of an older man. So really, as the game goes on, you're right. It really becomes more about setting up the assassins for the future and becoming that mentor figure and recruiting younger people to kind of move things forward so that he can even leave Rome in Revelations. I mean, if he hadn't done that yeah. in Brotherhood, then he wouldn't be traveling the world and figuring out more about the assassins because he couldn't. Um but it's still fun to keep that personal element in both of them. I think too the other thing with him also is, is despite the kind of the tragic the tragic way his life plays out, he still is this really fun and yes. witty character. Like yes. he doesn't he doesn't become this like dark brooding old man. He's still like kind of in the first game too. Like he kind of says it too. He's all about wine and women, and then he, he kind of grows out of that stage. But and then when he's in Italy, you can you can impersonate somebody with a loot. He's able to not take himself too seriously too when he needs to, and I think that also helped really helped on the relatability factor with this character. And yeah, I mean, you watch him in Assassin's Creed 2 as just this kind of vagabond, this guy that just loves women. He kind of jumps back and forth to kind of fit his needs. He's always flirting. And then you watch him fall in love in Revelations, and it's actually believable. And he even talks about like how he was as a younger man and how... It's not that thing in games, like, he's not just saying, like, I've really progressed, like, this is something really special to me. It's like, we, the player, know that, because we've been through his entire life, so we actually know that progression, so it just pays off in even littler ways like that. So, Matt, I gotta know, do you have, like, a favorite uh, Ezio moment that stands out to you when you play through these games? Ooh, man, there are so many good ones. I feel like there's some badass moments when it comes to Ezio. And then there's some actually really profound, amazing moments. Um, the most badass one, I feel like, is him killing Cesare and then him dropping him off, 
basically saying, I'm going to let, I won't kill you, but I'll let gravity decide and dropping him off a wall. So badass. And then <laughs> um, the profound moments. As I've gotten older, I really, really love that final moment of revelations when he is with Altair and he realizes this information he was trying to acquire is kind of of a personal satisfaction to him. But in the grand scheme, he's come to terms with, I'm not the person really meant for this. Somehow, I don't know how it works, but in the future, there's this Desmond guy that I guess can see what's happening. So I'm kind of a pawn in the grand scheme of things. But as I've gotten older, I have moved past that. I've moved past that weird moment at the end of Assassin's Creed 2 where I was like, who the fuck's Desmond? I don't know what you're talking about. I've made my own life, my own journey, made my personal relationships. And if that's the way things shake out, I hope whoever's watching in the future, good for you. I hope you can figure it out. I hope I did what I could. Um, I just really love the journey that I've made along the way. And then in Assassin's Creed Embers, I think, like the short film where you talked about where he passes away, he just has some amazing lines. He talks about as an old man, he's like, I had time, but I did not know it. I had love, but I did not feel it. Just so many great lines that Roger Craig Smith delivered as Ezio, kind of reflecting on his life that are very profound and moving and emotional and really feel like the perfect way to end that character with some of those monologues. Yeah, I think some of the scenes that kind of stand out in my mind, too, is I love all his conversations with Leonardo as mm, well. Yeah. Getting to watch those kind of, both of those characters' friendship evolve and grow is, is so fun. And, and all the Leonardo inventions too are so fun to use in Brotherhood. So yeah. um, that's kind of what stands out to me. It, it's really not any of the fighting stuff, as good as the fighting no. stuff is. It is just these individual character moments with Ezio. And it's funny because, I mean, you and I have talked semi-recently when it came to Valhalla. We've talked about how the modern characters are really great in their own right, but it does make me long a bit for the days like this where we, the characters were less of a blank slate and we got more kind of really in-depth character arcs. And I know, Austin, for you, that's one that must play into your next choice, which may or may not also be an assassin. You want to break that down? Yes, it is another assassin, unfortunately. I don't think there was any way for either one of us being huge Assassin's Creed fans to do this list and not have two assassins on here. But my one of my favorite characters is... Edward Kenway, who is the playable protagonist of Assassin's Creed Black Flag. He is voiced by Matt Ryan, who you may know from playing and voicing John Constantine yeah. on the CW and the Justice League uh, Dark animated movies. Great voice. Great voice. So let me just run this down really quick. Uh, Black Flag is set in the Caribbean during the Golden Age of Piracy. Uh, the game finds Edwards and other famous pirates trying to establish a pirate republic on the island of Nassau, and Edward unintentionally joining the Assassins in Templar battle. So one of my favorite things really is about Edward is kind of how his journey starts. I love how he just like accidentally stumbles upon the assassins, like randomly killing one and seeing an opportunity to profit by impersonating them uh, feels totally in line with both the pirate world that Ubisoft is trying to establish. And then also like what you learn about Edward's character. Like it seems totally intentional and something that he would for sure do. Um, I think it's also important to remember that at the time we are coming off of Assassin's Creed 3, uh, where the main character is Connor, who is brooding and mopey for the whole game, and Edward is really the polar opposite of that. He's this charismatic and witty pirate who is really off kind of chasing his own dream of uh, of fame and fortune in the West Indies. Yeah, um, I, I believe this game started a bad trend, which is particularly when it comes to the modern games, which is like the characters aren't really assassins, and when it comes to Eivor, it's like, do you want to be an assassin? It's like, no. It's like, okay. But Edward does. Like, no, no, too, I, though, I agree with you. It's like, like, he chooses. Yeah, I feel, what I'm saying is, I think in the future, they took they took the wrong things away from this character. Yeah. And this character was so strong. And you're so right, because the three games prior, the characters were either already an assassin or they were, in Ezio's case, his father was, and he had to take up the mantle. In Connor's case, he understood what that meant, and he was trained by Achilles, who was an assassin. Whereas Edward, you're right, literally just drunkenly stumbles into it, and it's so fitting for the character. He's so funny. His backstory is so interesting, where he left England to become a pirate, and then where that leads is so tragic and sad, but he, again, kind of, I think, becoming an assassin associating with these characters transforms him for the better so he can become the father figure at the end that he should be seeing all of his friends have died in the process 
So this is a this is a different character arc than like what we talked about with Ezio, but it's one that is equally interesting, relatable, understandable, and it, I guess it maybe it's in a weird way it's also satisfying watching him go from being just this kind of asshole to he still has that asshole charm, but he's a much better person and one that is almost like way better to play as the game goes on because he kind of accepts that role. Well, and he's also just so fun. Yeah. Um, like, like similarly to what I talked about with Aloy, he has this love of what he's doing. Like he loves exploring uh, the Caribbean. Um, he's also one of the few assassins who is like kind of doing their chosen career. Like he's, he's doing what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he really enjoys captaining his ship uh, and, and like sailing the high seas. He enjoys fighting and is really good at it. Um, and he likes finding treasure. He likes like doing all the hunting stuff. And he also loves his crew and, and like yeah. being a pirate captain is what he feels like he was born to do. Um, and, and then similarly, like you mentioned with his arc, I think he has one of the better assassin arcs. He's constantly at odds with his sense of right and wrong, but then also his desire for money and glory. And for the majority of the game, uh, we see this desire for money went out and it causes him to kind of slowly lose everything. And I like how this inner conflict really does eventually kind of cause him to give his life to a cause bigger than himself by choosing to officially join the Brotherhood. And uh, he, he kind of has to realize on his own that his life needs to mean more than just money and fame. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, that final that final scene where um, the song plays and he looks back on the table at the hideout and sees a vision of all his old friends that have died in the process. Um, and his mistakes. And his mistakes. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And then watching him walk up to his daughter that he just learned he had and giving her the flower. And then the credits play as you sail back home with her and him kind of talking, getting to know each other is so perfect. Also, I think it's worth mentioning that um, I think him as a character is made even better based on the franchise when we get to know Haytham and Connor knowing the history there, especially his son Haytham becoming a Templar under those circumstances kind of makes Edward even more interesting. Same thing in Assassin's Creed Syndicate. There's a mission where you go to the Kenway Manor and it's like, I think, I think the franchise knew that this character really hit. So they really kind of gave him an interesting backstory, even though he died pretty tragically young at the hands of the Templars. So they had to kind of find ways because they couldn't make a sequel because he died pretty soon after. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I would want to mention is I think this is such a great example of a character whose gameplay is unique to the franchise, but suits them so well. I mean, having the four pistols as opposed to just one before having the ability for the ship combat, swinging on ropes, jumping over the way he moves in the sword fighting and how it was different here. It's like it's so suited to him both personality wise and just as a character, like what his profession is, if you want to say, like as the pirate that you mentioned. Yeah, I'm actually I'm really glad you brought that up because you I mean, you and I have talked offline about how uh, we we kind of miss the old way the Assassin's Creed combat used to work. Yeah. And I think Edward Kenway is, is really and maybe the Fry Twins, too. But Edward Kenway is really the last time when they had that perfect blend of both the counter and, and fighting combat, mm-hmm. but then also um, like the other elements too, like you said, with the swinging and, and the more mobility that they've kind of worked into the modern games. And, and I think the biggest takeaway from black flag is both Edward Kenway and the ship exploration and, and everything about everything about it is, is black flag. I think might be the most fun Assassin's Creed game just with the setting with the character. And then also um, just the way the combat plays out too. I think it's a hundred percent the most fun. Um, I don't know if it's the best for me personally, but it's, it might be my favorite because it is the most fun to play for sure. They somehow found the ways for the, like just sailing as well is never boring. Even with these open oceans, it's everything about it was so fun. I know they've done it once before already for this game, but th- this is one I would totally play a next gen like remaster of, especially with upgraded graphics and all that on the, on the seas. I just, this is one of my personal favorite Assassin's Creed. It's so good. And I think a large part is the character. Like you mentioned, Edward just, elevates it so high so wish we could have seen more of him i get it in the lore while we can't but a character i would love to see a sequel to or a movie or a movie or a movie with starring michael fassbender <laughs> oh i hope not <laughs> we tried that once already <laughs> well i guess we don't know too much about what the netflix animated series is gonna do um it would be cool if they explore like multiple characters oh, maybe pirates. Ezio and edward that'd be cool that'd be really fun you could do like a black mirror style assassin's creed series where like each episode has different settings and characters it could be definitely cool. good i always pictured it as each season would be different but i'd be down for that like a long episode that's each different that'd be cool too oh what a series we've talked about it so much but we love it so much 
Okay, Matt, let's uh, let's take it home with each of our final points. Tell me about your next character here. And th- this is a game I still have not played, so I really don't know anything about this one. I will preface this with, I could have picked any character from this game, I feel like. Any of the main playable characters. Because they're all so god damn good. <laughs> the voice acting's perfect, the design's perfect, their role in the story is perfect. So, because of that, I was forced to pick simply my favorite of the gang. And I picked Tifa from Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is the game that Austin, it's his Horizon Zero Dawn. He has it. He has to start it soon. So we can relate on both of those individual points. But yeah, I picked Tifa. I think um, not only is the original game and the remake especially just absolutely fantastic, like I already mentioned, the characters, how they figure into the story how they are designed, how they move in combat is so perfect. But Tifa's my personal favorite because she's the childhood friend of our protagonist, Cloud Strife, and she's just a simple bartender, right? That's all she does. You meet back up after a few years away, and she's kind of involved in this environmental task force, if you will, that Cloud has somehow found himself to be involved with. She's kind of worried about the repercussions, and she's particularly worried about how Cloud could be hurt or killed during these missions. And then it's like, you know what? Most characters like her would just stay that worried, like, oh, Cloud, come back to me. I loved you as a child. I wish I had told you sooner. And he's like, oh, you love me? It's like, ugh, gross. But she's like, (laughs) whenever that moment feels like it's about to happen, she's just like, well, fuck this. I'm going. (laughs) And she comes on the mission with you. And then she's with you for the rest of the game. So you watch this character go from this childhood friend and kind of crush to this older person that it's made her own life for herself. She's successful on her own right. She's loved by everybody where she lives because she's just kind and sweet and good-natured. But then, when she's like, okay, fine, you need extra hands, I'll come on the mission. And this character is the most fun to play in the entire game. Oh, I didn't realize you could play multiple characters in yes. this game. Yes, So Like, you're always, okay. like, during fights, you have, like, three or four with you at a time. So just with, like, a click of a button, you can uh, switch to the next one, basically. But for story moments, are you just one main character? No, you can always switch. But they're all, like, there together. Like, it's a party system. It's not like you just, like, hit a button and then it's, like, the other character teleports away. It's like whenever you click the button, it like Cloud becomes like a, a computer-controlled character, basically. And then you switch to Tifa okay. and do your own thing. So Cloud has a big sword. Barrett has a big gun. Aerith is a magic user. Tifa, you would think, well, what's her thing? I mean, she's so nice. She's so sweet. I don't know. Maybe she'll just like use words to talk down enemies. No, she just uses her fucking fists. She fights just with her fists, no weapons. And she is so badass. Her arc is amazing. Watching her and these characters come close together, I feel like is only because of her. I feel like she's the linchpin between this group that really softens everybody up. And I just think this character is so perfect. One of the most likable characters in any game I've ever played. And the way they contrast that with her just being a brawler in combat is so fun and she was the character I spent the most time with like like I said you never you switch characters I would just switch to her when I was walking around just because I found her the most fun to be and play as so such an amazing character does the brawling style combat stuff feel at odds though with like how nice her character is no because they kind of set it up where she's nice but then when they get into the conflict she's so protective that it feels like a natural evolution. So it's not like when I, when I say she's a brawler, it's not like she's like violent or like ripping people's heads off. It's just that like where Cloud has a sword, Barrett a gun and Aerith a staff, like she just doesn't use anything. It's just her gloves in her hands, basically. But she is kind of the motherly figure of the group, both in the missions and outside of the missions in the story. So it does feel like kind of a more protective element, which is really fun. So I think it, it doesn't feel forced at all. I guess the other question I had too is with like the ability to switch between multiple characters throughout the game, do you learn enough about Tifa and like her backstory and her arc for her to really make an impression on you? I'm assuming you do since you put her on this list. Yeah. So in the original Final Fantasy VII, that's less of a concern because you get the entire story in that and it's great and she's amazing and interesting and the arc feels real and whenever you get flashbacks to the past and they reveal certain things that may or may not be true 
it feels both fascinating and intriguing, but also it never goes against who the character is at their core, which is important to me. And in the remake, which is kind of just part of a trilogy, I think it will be, they're giving us just enough of the backstory and the flashes to understand where they came from, how they ended up in the present of the story whenever Cloud reconnects with her. Um, and yeah, so by the end, we don't have all the information, but the game does a good job of focusing on them enough that we get all that. And it's the same thing with the rest of the characters, because there's only four main playable characters in this first part of the remake. So it's not like Overload or anything. And Tifa definitely, I think, comes out of the game as the highlight. Nice. Yeah, th this one, like you said, this one is one I've had on my console for a while and I just need to open it up and play it. I think you'll love it. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts whenever you get around to it. Well, I think you'll love Horizon Zero Dawn exactly. and you should play that. <laughs> I will. I will. All right, Austin. So we are winding down the show. But of course, you have the last, final, but certainly not least pick. Hit me with your final character. Okay, so this last one might be kind of quick. Similarly to what you talked about with Link kind of being this blank slate and how you mentioned how a lot of these type of characters occupy first-person shooters, my last favorite character here is also the main character of a first-person shooter, and it is BJ Blazkowicz, the playable character in the Wolfenstein series. Um, he is voiced by Brian Bloom, who also voiced Captain America in the animated Avengers series. Uh, so, so Matt, I don't know how much you know about this series, but... Wolfenstein takes place in an alternate reality where the Nazis turn the tide of World War II and uh, begin to conquer America. Mm -hmm. And uh, BJ, also known as Terror Billy, is a member of the Resistance, and uh, you play as him and you kill a shitload of Nazis. I think the thing that makes this character memorable and one of my favorites is the fact that this character should not be memorable and should not stand out in your mind uh, at all. Uh, it's a first-person shooter, so you hardly ever see his face, and the character primarily exists so that you, the player, can use a bunch of different guns and do a bunch of different shooting. But uh, Bethesda, when they kind of remade and remastered this franchise for the new generation, um, they chose to take this baseless character from the 90s and try to uh, develop him more and, uh, and really give him an arc. So he's full of all these internal monologues that only you, the player, can hear. So like while you're going through a scene, he will he will intentionally be commenting on stuff and you'll like kind of know how he feels about the current situation that he's in. Throughout the game, he constantly gets like more and more of the odds stacked against him. And he uses these monologues to both like psych himself up for coming fights, but then also comment on like dead allies or like the Nazis cruelty. Yeah, I really like that. You know, I feel like that doesn't always work, particularly in first person shooters, like you said, because when you're not seeing somebody, it's. It can sometimes be jarring whenever they start monologuing or talking. Yeah. In the cutscenes, though, I do want to be clear, though, because you do you do see his full character in the cutscenes. So you, you do have a sense of what he looks like and kind of kind of like what his face looks like. Yeah, I was going to say, though, I like that regardless, even if we hadn't seen his face. I think that's something that isn't done enough. And they're utilizing the first person for the gameplay. But that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice the character. And clearly they didn't. And it worked for you because they made it on the list for you. So that's really cool. I mean, that's that's honestly a huge selling point for me in first person shooters, particularly like getting actual characters is something we never do, I feel like. And he, he has some really great, uh, like really great character moments. Um, mm -hmm. The internal monologues are a pretty stark contrast to like what the rest of the game sees to his allies. BJ, BJ is like this unstoppable force. And, uh, and, and the rest of the team, like, kind of only really sees that. Uh, but internally, he gets pretty vulnerable. Um, like, he's, he's constantly worried about his team. And he also has his love, Anya. She's a member of the team, too. And he's, like, constantly worried about her. Um, for a majority of the second game, he's dying. And, like, for the latter half of that game, he kind of shuts himself off from her. And he feels terrible about doing it. But he's also saying, like, you don't have what she needs. Like, you're not going to be here for her. So you, you have to do this as hard as it is. So like, he has these really deep and like interesting and like introspective character moments that only you, the player can hear. So it kind of feels like you're in on this, like kind of secret thing about BJ as well. That's cool. So you feel like, because this is a series that does have two entries at this point with this character, you feel like they were able to maintain the interest over both of them. Yeah, I think he gets way more interesting in the second game. Mm, um, okay. The second game, they do a bit of a time jump and also change the setting. The first game has more memorable set pieces, I would say. And the second game has more memorable like character moments for BJ. Um, the second game takes place in Nazi-occupied America. And right. uh, and he has like all these moments where he like comments on stuff from his childhood or like there's a couple of flashbacks in the second one, too, where you learn more about his upbringing. Um, and so it's just really interesting to play this character who left America to go fight the war and how it's come back to a conquered America and like sees how much the, the Nazis have changed it. 
What do I want to say? I mean, that was really good. Like, I actually really want to play this now. I might have this downloaded too, <laughs> now that I think about it. At least the first <laughs> I think one. You do. I know I have the first one. I don't think I have the second one. They're on they're on Game Pass. So there you go. That's that's why I played them, because they were on Game Pass. Yeah, I definitely will have to download The combat this too. too, dude. Like we were talking about with Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. his combat, man, is, is so fun too. Like they did a great job with the shooting in this game too. And, and the weapons are fun and it's so violent too. It's, it's, it's a great game. This is one I have to get into as well. And the third one, the third one, my friend, I haven't played it because I'm waiting on you. The but the third right? one is all co-op. Yeah. All right. I'll get caught up to you and we'll do that. It sounds like a great character. You really sold that really quick. So this is one I'm going to jump into really soon for sure. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. Like I said, I went into this into this series really just hoping to have a shooter, take my mind off things and, and ended up caring about this character way more than I expected to. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Now, Austin, here's the thing, though. Oh, is that your Iron Man impression? Uh, hey, dude, here's the deal. We have an Iron Man 2 episode coming soon. I'm going to have to workshop that a bit. <laughs> you want my property? You can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but anyway, with these lists, Austin, I do get a bit nervous because we are opening the floodgates for controversy. People are going to watch this. They're going to listen to this. and They're going to be like, how in tarnation partner did you leave off some of these so you know what austin we're gonna cop out a little bit i'll just list some we're not gonna talk about them i'm just gonna list some that i really like and i know you do too first of all i said tarnation the natural uh segue here we didn't talk about john marston or arthur morgan from red dead redemption austin do you like these characters or do you hate them (laughs) i hate them no i'm kidding (laughs) I I love, uh, I I actually, I had John Marston on here for the longest time. And then you know what? I had then had Arthur Morgan on here for the longest time. And then I decided I'll go with BJ Blazkowicz. I love it. I love it. (laughs) That's kind of, kind of that one. We almost talked about these two though. So even though, before we move on Austin, I'll ask the question. I know your answer. I know mine, but just for the sake of conversation, Arthur Morgan or John Marston, who's the better character? In terms of their arc, I got to go with Arthur, I think. Same here. I like John's inclusion in two. I feel like they flesh out the character more, but Arthur Morgan, top tier character for sure. So good, dude. So good. All right, Austin, how about some other ones? There's another series we've talked about before on this show. Any characters from that one that we missed? I should just mention too, though, there there were two uh, two series that we specifically chose not to name any characters from because we've talked about them too much on this show. Oh, yes. We did we perf- we purposely left off Joel and Ellie from The Last of Us because The Last of Us has occupied so much of the show, and then we also purposely left off some characters from Mass Effect because we've talked about them I think on two consecutive episodes now. But yes, we definitely could have mentioned Commander Shepard. We could have mentioned Jack. We could have mentioned Liara to Sony. Thane. There's just so many great characters in that damn franchise. Thane, Garrus, oh, any of them. Even fucking Morden could have gone with him. There's so many great characters in that franchise. So many. So, all right, Austin, I agree with you. I'm glad we left off those series that you mentioned just for the sake of conversation. But again, just like with the Red Dead one, I'm going to ask you, if you could only have one Last of Us character on your favorite slash best video game characters of all time, who would you go with? It doesn't have to be Joel or Ellie. It can be another one, but you only get one. Who's it going to be? I think I would just have to do the obvious and do Ellie. I love her arc from one to two and the way, the way, they, the way they flesh her out more and then also just playing as her is so damn fun in the first one and the second one. Yeah, I would go Ellie as well. Abby's a close one. They really, like we talked about in our Last of Us 2 episode, they somehow bought me into that character and it didn't take too long. And I know my hottest take with The Last of Us where, Austin, I think you kind of agreed. I don't know if you fully agree, though, which is, I think, call me crazy, I think the best Joel scenes from that franchise are all in Last of Us 2. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, I know the flashback scenes are great. He, he went too soon, as they say, but you get some damn good Joel scenes in that sequel, so... I wouldn't be remiss if I had to pick him either. Could have uh, could have done the dogs from the Last of Us series too. Anytime you hear one of oh, them no. die, that sticks with you. Oh no, no, thank you. Uh, with that, <laughs> with that, Austin, we gotta close out before I start crying. <laughs> okay, alrighty, everybody. Well, I think that will, in fact, do it for us today. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that really is the best way to help us continue to grow this show. 
at the Arnie's is our social and the Arnie's.media is the website. And of course, Co-op Couch is just a special uh, kind of gaming sideshow of the Arnie's. Our main episodes do come out every Tuesday. We also have some TV uh, review episodes that come out every Sunday. Uh, our main episode will be back next week for Godzilla versus King Kong. Mm, nice. I'm excited. I'm excited. We have lots of good episodes coming up. Austin and I were talking offline before this and we kind of have our content pretty laid out for the rest of the year when it comes to movies, TV, and gaming. So, so much to talk about. We're only in at the end, we're at the end of March right now, basically April. So, lots of year left, but we have lots of content coming for you real soon. Uh, for TV specifically, though, with our most recent ongoing series, we are talking about each and every episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. When those episodes come out, they release on Fridays, which means you can expect our reviews and thoughts the following Sunday. And hey, everybody, we do also want to hear from you. So feel free to shoot us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or if you'd rather email us, you can email us the Arnie's media at gmail.com. Uh, send us some of your favorite characters and gamings. Send us some of your favorite video games. What releases are you most excited for this year? We'd love to hear from you. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, that's kind of all the chores. I guess the chores section of the episode. So we're done with that. And we will talk to you guys soon. Player two disconnected. Player two disconnected.